Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest public power and public power adjacent news. Our series began as an awkward force fun time for the power department 50 weeks ago when we altered our work arrangements at the start of an ongoing pandemic. It has evolved into a forum to chat with power, public power professionals about niche topics that are entertaining to an extremely small group of electric utility enthusiasts. And if you're listening to this, that means you. On today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets with Aaron Reports, talk to RMP Financial's Reed Grossman about credit fallout from February's extreme winter event, talk to Snohomish County PUD's Brian Booth about electric rate design, and cover a few other public power and public power adjacent news topics, including some late breaking news from PPC's Lauren Tenney Dennison. I'm the navigator of the underground, Paul Dockery. Brian is on vacation, so I'm taking the hosting duties this week. We're welcoming back a returning champion, special guest co-host, the publisher of Wire to Wire, PPC's Karen Heim. Hello, Karen. Hello, Paul. Glad to be back. Coming to you live from the PPC office this time. So if you've never been here, this is what our walls look like. They're so, wonderful walls. It's a wonderful bookshelf. I have yeah, bookshelves I in the back, uh, too. I hope everyone can get on down here at some point when we finally can get back together. We've had a marathon morning of an executive committee meeting. You did a great job. Thank, Thank you, you for all of your moderation. And uh, I did not bother you in the chat this week. <laughs> I saw that. We are joining, joining us today is again, the co-star of Public Power Underground, the star of Aaron Reports, financial analyst, Aaron Guillory. Howdy, Aaron. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Glad to be back this week. Yeah, you have a good vacation last week? Oh, yeah. Good. Sort of. It was good. It was fine. <laughs> Gotta take some time off every once in a while. I'm glad you did. You do. Even for just kind of relaxing and hanging out. Thanks. That's the way to do it. Our other co-star of Public Power Underground, the coding wizard of R and Python, our resident Genesis apprentices, a Reddit user, Banjulele Virtuoso, trained linguist, a dark age of Camelot, mending pacifying healer, holder of eight Stack Overflow badges, and current power analyst in the Neural Network, Bledsoe. Thanks for being here, Ian. Thanks, Paul. Uh, small, small update on the Stack Overflow front. I have since completed my bio on Stack Overflow and received another bronze badge. And so, I'm also looking wow. forward to the Brian Booth's interview because I'm wondering if you asked him about his Dark Age of Camelot credentials. <laughs> oh, I did Live not. Live updates here. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> so given your new bronze badge, can you now upvote in Stack Overflow? Yes, I can. Congratulations. Nice. That's Congratulations. That is awesome. I'm very happy for you and really for all of us because now we can upvote all the stuff. We're starting this week checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Aaron Reports. Go to you, Aaron. Great. This is Aaron Reports where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for March 4th, 2021. I'm Aaron Gillery and I've got your market update for the week. April September flows, the Dow's are expected to be at 95% of normal, down 4% from last week. Outflow, the Dow's peaked over the past week at 166 and 3 KCFS on February 25th at 1800 hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee on March 3rd was 1275.5, down a half foot since reported last week as outflows increased from a peak of 139 KCFS on February 24th at 0800 hours to peak outflow of 145.20 KCFS on March 3rd at 0800 hours. Checking in on the snow in the region using Answergy's aggregation of basin data, the snow water equivalent for BC hydro generation basin is 121 and 66% normal for mid-sea, 108, 40% 
and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through Bonneville Dam, they estimate there is a 119.17% uh, of normal snow blankets. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery March 4th is at 24 dollars uh, and 50 cents with gas at 269 per MMBTU translating to a spark spread of 566 and a heat rate of 9400. In term markets, uh, balance of the month for mid-C has increased to 2866 per megawatt hour, a $6 per megawatt hour lift since a week ago. Mid-C power for quarter three 2021 is at 7140 with Sumas gas at 293 translating to a heat rate of 24400. In bond markets yesterday when Washington PUD issued electric revenue and refunding bonds with 53.555 million due between 2022 and 2040 with average interest rates of 3.88% and yields of 165 bips and a term bond for 3905 million due in 2045 at a 4% interest rate yielding 263 bips. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak load this past week was 8091 on February 26 at 740 in the a.m. During load's peak, hydrogen was at 9403, wind gen was at 2711 megawatts, conventional units at 669 and nuclear was at 1154. This week in NOAA climate forecast, the six to 10 day outlook has temp in the region with a 70% chance of being below normal while precipitation has a 40% chance of being above. Some likelihood of below average temperature uh, in the region stays in their outlook through the night day report. And that's all we've got for this update. Back to you, Paul. Thank you, Aaron. That was wonderful. We will, we will say Ian did a great job while you were gone, uh, but it is no substitute for Aaron on Aaron reports. Yeah, Aaron is lightning through that. <laughs> one of the interesting, one of the interesting things this week was uh, the wind gen at, during the or during the loads peak on February 26. You can see that the hydro didn't have to perform as much because there was so much wind on the system. Thanks for the report, Aaron. Next up is our weekly walkthrough of Northwest Public Power and Public Power adjacent news in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. All right, I get to kick this one off this week. So APPA is profiling women in high voltage trades in their public power current newsletter as a part of the comm their commemoration of Women's History Month. What, what? The newsletter profiled several women from across, across the country, including a profile of Seattle City Lights' Sherry Rice, who started as a flagger, completed two apprenticeships, and has been a constructor for 16 years. When asked what advice Rice has for other women wanting to enter the, high, the skilled high voltage trades, she said apprenticeships are the best path. If you want to learn, earn college credit, make a stable livable wage with benefits and retirements, it is the way to go, she said. Rice also said that public power utilities can do a number of things to support bringing more women into high voltage trades. Publications like Public Power Now Health, going out to high schools, job fairs and outreach programs and start talking to your daughters, nieces and neighbors, she said. Check, check and check, Sherry. To read the rest of the profiles, you can find it in the March 1st edition of the newsletter. And if you aren't signed up for Public Power Current, let us know and we can point you in the right direction. Check, check, and check. Yes. Talk to your daughters, nieces, and sisters. What was the other one? Neighbors. Neighbors. Yeah. Neighbors. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. All right. Next story is uh, the Texan Utility Cooperative Brazos Electric filed for bankruptcy this week after receiving $2.1 billion of charges from ERCOT and other power suppliers. Clifton Carney, the uh, co-op's GM, and until recently an ERCOT board member, issued a statement saying, before the severe cold weather that blanketed Texas with sub-freezing temperatures, Brazos Electric was in all respects a financially robust, stable company with a clear vision for its future and a strong A to A-plus credit rating. 
Carnet was a member of the ERCOT board in 2011 when FERC published a report urging Texas to winterize its power grid following a severe cold snap that year. The 357 report page report detailed nine separate findings that detailed what happened inside their power grid during the winter storm, a storm that also left millions without power. Brazos Electric in its court filings claims the ERCOT wholesale market will see 55 billion in charges uh, resulting from the week-long winter storm, which it said would be four years worth of charges from a single week. For more information, see the article at www.powermag.com. To digest the information, we invited the president of RMG Financial and friend of the underground, Reed Grossman, to talk to us. Welcome to Public Power Underground, Reed. Hey, Paul. Hey, Ian. How are hey. you? We're doing great. How's how's the pandemic life treating you? Isolation, <laughs> hibernation. Uh, you can see that for yourself. Uh, you look great. You look healthy. You look like you're doing <laughs> great. I love your bookshelf. Older, older, fatter, slower. But um, but we're all surviving. Thankfully, thankfully, knock on wood. And hopefully, we'll get vaccines soon and can all go back to our normal lives, which would be a welcome change from all this. Very welcome. Get some sun, that sort of thing. Yep. So, so you haven't had the vaccine yet, I assume, because you're in the, the young and healthy age bracket. Is that correct? <laughs> I'm, so I'm about to turn next week. I'm going to turn uh, 62, believe it or not. Uh-huh. Sorry for me to believe. And um, so I'm not over 65. Uh-huh. And so I'm, I'm just a, a guy, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> you're in the same bracket there. as the rest of us. It yeah. sounds mm-hmm. like we're going to get some vaccine dosage. We're all though. thrown in there together. We're going to get it. But that's not what we're here to talk about. What are we here to talk about, Ian? We found an article about Brazos Electric Co-op filing bankruptcy, and we're wondering if the dominoes are about to fall in Texas. Um, I they, have to have their, their filing right here in front of me. Yeah, I mean, it uh, wanting to get out from under these massive, massive bills is probably something a lot of other Texas utilities are looking at. Um, And the other question is, how far is it going to ripple? You know, these utilities that are uh, declaring or uh, the trading counterparties, uh, they trade in a lot of areas. Um, What happens if more utilities follow suit and file bankruptcy? And uh, I'm not sure I'm even smart enough to answer the really good questions. So if you have any smart questions to uh, answer, please do so as well. They're all smart questions, right? They used to tell me that there's no dumb questions, but I put that to the test all the time. Yeah. Um, he so, is the smart one with all the smart questions. Yeah, that's it. So, so the answer is there's going to be, so first of all, this is a huge mess, right? This is an enormous mess. And um, I've, we've, so I've read lots of different things in the, in the, in the media in the last couple of days. And one of them said $20 billion. I think it's going to be a lot, probably more than that, and maybe significantly more. But mm-hmm. There's going to be lots and lots of winners and losers in this deregulated market, in this crazy situation that we've come into. And there'll be some that are winners and losers. So if you make a lot of money, but you, you have credit defaults and no one pays you, what good is that? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the one side, there's there's, of course, there's ERCOT, which is more just a pass-through, but they're still short a couple of billion dollars because people like companies, not people, companies like Brazos, you know, are saying, well, we're just going to file because they don't have whatever it was, a hundred and a billion eight was what they were being asked for. And uh, 
while the other creditors from Brazos are probably not very happy with Brazos, I mean, what are you going to do? They have to protect their members. And so that's, that's the, of course, they're going to take. Um, lots of other municipal utilities and co-ops and retail guys and um, anyone who was um, producing oil and gas in the Permian Basin, all that got shut down because they did hadn't weatherized their equipment. Um, all of those players are going to get hit. And then some of the trading companies, depending on what side of you, you know, this you're on, are either going to take a big bath or they're going to you know, make a fortune or they could make a fortune on one part of it and lose on another part. They may again not get paid um, uh, because of bankruptcies and whatnot. It's, it's just a huge mess. Some of the other counterparties that are going to get hit, of course, are the utilities. And they're already, we're already seeing from the 10Ks that there was a, there was a, Battering, if you will, that's by bad. I pray the word to use, but there's a flurry, if you will, of 10Ks issued on Friday. And um, among others, um, Exelon said, and they didn't say losses, they used the word impact, but there's going to be an impact on their financials for the first quarter of between five, 570 and well, I have notes. Appreciate um, the notes for sure. Uh, 710. Not for me, because I know. I know exactly what you're talking about, but for our listeners, what is the 10K? Oh, uh, the 10K is the annual filing for the SEC for every year. So you get more information from not only from their financials, but the footnotes tend to be more detailed. So you get a better picture of what's going on with the company Thanks. when you're reading their 10K. So we look for that. Um, and of course, you guys know this, but we do financial analysis, so counterparty uh credit reviews and underwriting as part of the services we provide. So we read these 10Ks every year and have for the last you know, 30 years, um, but something that we look forward to. But at any rate, so some of that information is gonna come out in the, uh, the footnotes uh, of some of the 10Ks that are being issued. And we're looking forward to seeing that, but the utilities are gonna take a hit. And people that, people, companies that have generation uh, within ERCOT that were shut down, I mean, even the coal piles froze, right? So even the coal generation was down. And uh, so pretty much all the utilities are suspect and they're probably all gonna take some kind of hit. Um, and so and so for instance, there was one company that we know of that uh, took a hit um, from Brazos, but on the other hand, they had storage, gas storage, so they could sell their gas. Natural gas was going as high as $179 and then MMBTU, you know, for a very short term. So that's, you know, those are crazy prices. And ERCOT, the ceiling on ERCOT was $9,000 a megawatt. That, imagine that. And I can't. Uh, so it's the, too big. I cannot imagine it. It's, I really can't. I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't. Yeah, I mean, even in the energy crisis in California, the cap was, I believe, was lower than that. But at any rate, the one group of, of uh, the one group that really is going to get impacted by this is the public. And there's, of course, um, the public's already been hit. There have been stories of people whose accounts they had direct withdrawal, and their bill was seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars. You know, and it was just whoop, taken out of their account. And so those people are going to be affected. But, and not to be against regulation, but in many cases, when this sort of event happens, whether it's in the Great Recession in banking or this sort of event now. Um, we have tended to, this is my opinion, 
you can have a different one if you'd like. I don't mean to be political. But we've tended to privatize gains in the deregulated markets and socialize losses. And so if, if companies declare bankruptcy, and uh, not to say all the losses will be socialized, right? There are companies like Exelon who are taking, maybe taking losses. But if companies go bankrupt, if the ERCOT doesn't collect all the money that it needs to, it's going to pass that through to its members and they're going to raise rates. And these individuals who are being charged $17,000, they didn't realize that that was coming. They may have, it may have, the owner, it, it, it may have been their responsibility to read the fine print, but few, you know, residential um customers would, would do that or even have the ability to understand it. So the public's going to be hurt and everyone's you know, at risk and it's not just large companies. But one thing that we, the other, another thing that we're seeing is that there are some companies that have come out early and said, we made a boatload of money and that's just politically just that's not wise, not yeah. wise thing to do. No. Yeah. And uh, they we're already seeing backlash on that. So. But it's just a huge mess. And there will be lots of spillover. Um, large companies like Shell or uh, Exelon or whoever um, can absorb several billion dollar loss if it comes to that. But small companies can't. And if you lose $250 million in your trading company, that's not a good day. Or even you know, it doesn't have to be that large. And uh, so there will be a lot of shakeout. And um, we're sort of, you know, we're like the... I mean, we're not really referees, but we're on the sidelines watching as analysts to determine sort of how this will all shake out. The one group that will do well in this, as always, are the lawyers. The bankruptcy lawyers will be able to put their children and all the other children in the neighborhood through, you know, Harvard. Um, and the, this is going to be litigated for you know, years. Definitely. Yeah. Well, nothing well, against them. That's their business. And they do well. They, they, they are very good attorneys deserve what their, their fees but this is you know you break for one of the things you mentioned is you compared it to the energy crisis the california energy crisis in 2001 do you think it'll have as far-reaching implications is it is that a good comp for what just happened in texas it's interesting and you can compare this to the fires in california too and they're not the same there there are similarities definitely but they're not the same so this is a weather event much like fires weren't necessarily a weather event but still it was a short-term event yeah. And it was more localized, um, more in Northern California. This is a larger geographic region. It would be like all of California, but it's still um, a short-term event, a weather event. Unlike in the, the energy crisis in California, that went on for some time and it shifted the whole forward curve. That literally, instead of having the quick mean reversion that you normally see from things like this, the entire forward curve for power shifted, had a structural shift upward so the out months were high as well and that made a huge difference to all the calculations of market market and whatnot say, so if we're looking if we're looking for comps for credit purposes you know maybe closer in a comp to like the wildfires last year in california than the 2001 energy crisis I mean, for a credit comp and the impact on credit markets and counterparty credit um well so it'll it'll play out more quickly, but the, the size and scope of it is large enough that there will be, there could be um, as many winners and losers. Um, in the, 
So in the energy crisis in 2001, this is another point we'll get to in a second, but in the energy crisis in 2001, um, a lot of companies failed. Um, you know, Merit failed, um, Utilicorp failed. There were lots of those failures. And not long before then, the utilities that had built up large trading and, and merchant shops had spun out their, their trading and merchant shops, which had all had gotten large, high credit ratings from the rating agencies, in some case, higher than the underlying utilities. And they all, not all of them, but a, a number of them um, went bankrupt uh, for one reason or another during, during or just after the energy crisis in, in um, California. And it played out over a little longer period of time. On the other hand, we uh, note that Exelon has just last week announced that it's planning to split itself up into the Spinco, which is going to be, quote unquote, which will be their merchant operation and the um, old co, I think they call it, which is their utilities. So they've spent 19 years putting that company together. I mean, they were one of our first clients hmm. 19 years ago. And um, now there's, they're breaking it back up. And so we're seeing some of that happening again. And we're, as analysts, as analysts, we're wondering sort of how this will play into what the future holds for the industry at large. And it may be that structurally the industry needs to rearrange itself. And so this might be prompting some of that. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, I think we're running out of time, but thank you for coming on and talking about it. This, the credit implications of this, I think are gonna impact even us out, up here in the Northwest. Um, NAPCO is an annual conference Ian usually attends. Do I need to send him this year or when do you think he'll be going to NAPCO again? Well, NAPCO usually has two uh, meetings a year. Okay, well, I probably um, paid for okay. both of them. That's we, a good point. We haven't here lately because of COVID. And um, NAPCO is still here, but unfortunately, COVID is as well. And so we're not sure that we can do a September meeting, although we'd like to. But a lot of companies just aren't allowing people to travel. We're thinking that perhaps February will be um, a more likely date. But uh, keep, keep us on your calendars or on your outlook. Um, we'd love to see Ian, and I, frankly, I would like to get together with everybody, you know, even regionally, but I think that COVID is going to be in the way probably for September, but, um, but we're still here and there's still lots of interest and we'd still like to have another meeting here as soon as we can, but we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. Well, I, I, hereby, somewhere warm. I hereby yes, dream you warm. a friend of the underground, so thank you for being a friend of the underground. Oh, of course. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> and we'll have you back soon. Okay. If that's okay with you. Are you willing to come oh, back? Of course, and talk I can I can talk as long as willing you're willing to listen, I guess. <laughs> I love it. And I may have to cut a little bit of it out. That'll be okay, yeah, right? Of course. <laughs> love it. Thanks, Reed. All right. On March 2nd, BPA kicked off its integrated program review to commonly referred to as IPR2 workshop at 1 p.m. With about 114 participants, BPA CFO Michelle Maneri started out the presentation talking about safety with 14 great hiking tips that we can all appreciate. And for firsthand recommendations for great hiking, we nominate John Francisco, CEO of NRU. 
IPR2 focused on project modeling, uh, the Vancouver Control Center and the impacts of the Columbia River System Operations Environmental Impact Statement, CRSO, EIS. Michelle Cathcart, uh, VP of System Operations for BPA's Transmission Business Unit, walked us through BPA's purposes for having a control center in Vancouver in the first place, including supporting their ability to fulfill NERC responsibilities, among other things. The current building is well past its depreciated value, according to BPA's records, in consideration of its age and remodel requirements to maintain adherence to codes. BPA indicated this as well as increasing construction costs to be impetuses for plans to build a new VCC. More review to come here, including potential lease purchase and other financing options. Some good news that led to no questions was that BPA will not be seeking additional funding from IPR related to the Fish and Wildlife Program. BPA emphasized again that the agency is not on track to maintain its goal of the uh, uh, 1.5 billion available borrowing authority driven by the net borrowing uh, by the transmission business unit. Comments surrounding IPR2 topics can be submitted between March 3rd and 24th. BPA will post responses to questions and comments early to mid-April. BPA anticipates finishing the IPR2 process with a closeout report by April 30th. The workshop ended at 3.35 p.m., a full and appreciated 25 minutes early after a full two hours and 35 minutes of presentation. <laughs> Absolutely. It was a very full presentation. They did a good job. Uh, my takeaway, and I think it is fairly widely shared, is that Bonneville seems a little tone deaf when they talk about their financial goals and, um, and the, the need to maintain $1.5 billion of buffer on their borrowing authority. I don't think my perspective is unique in that. And in fact, there may have been comments using that specific terminology by someone at PPC's executive committee to John Harrison, the administrator this morning. Um, so it's, uh, I think, something he addressed uh, and was questioned head on. Yeah, and we aim to keep it fresh, so. You do. Yeah. Uh, I think your, your executive committee chairs have a tendency of being good at keeping things fresh. Like <laughs> yes, Good much. representation on that, in that chair, chairperson's role. Very much so. Okay, moving on. Who's next? Right. Up, up to me. Dan Catchbolt covered Idaho Power's 2020 earnings report in the most recent edition of Clearing Up and highlighted their customer growth over the past year. According to Dan's reporting, the utility customer base grew 2.7% to nearly 590,000, which helped the company post strong earnings despite the pandemic. Idaho Power's load growth aligns with anecdotal evidence we've all heard over the course of the pandemic and a phenomenon we've talked about here before on Public Power Underground, which is a realignment of residents as optionality to work remotely increases with a prioritization on affordable living and outdoor space. For more on Idaho Power's earning results and a presentation by their executives on their February 18th earnings call or to see similar articles about PGEs and Avista's 2020 earnings, check out Clearing Up's issue number 1993. What did you like? Did you like my sentence about the realignment? What, what was it? That was a good sentence. <laughs> that was a good one. It was yes. wordy. It was wordy. Realignment <laughs> of residents has optionality to work remotely increases. So yeah, true. you think that's, I mean, that's, that's my anecdotal takeaway of the realignment. Are you seeing similar things, Karen? I and agree. Uh, I know for us, we had always talked about possibly, you know, having a telework policy, and then obviously the pandemic just made it happen. And now moving forward, we have a new policy with more flexibility, uh, because now it's been proven that uh, we can do this going forward. So yeah, we can, we can do it. Um, <laughs> we can do it. We can do it. Uh, now, like you both live in Portland. 
do you see people are, uh, maybe I shouldn't even bring age into it, but it, uh, are colleagues and peers thinking of moving to places, not Portland? Um, not in my circle, uh, just to be very straightforward. I mean, a lot of the people, um, I don't know, the people in my circle seem to be pretty content with either being right outside on the outskirts of Portland or appreciating working from home and just, you know, funding their rent from that perspective and not really being too worried about utility bill increases. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually have a few friends that are looking to move inside Portland. It's just excessively competitive <laughs> to get the housing everything right Aaron said <laughs> that's just kind of how it is so yeah do you think like so there's there's value from working remotely in the not commute and there's value in working remotely from optionality to work live somewhere else so in your peer group is it you really like the working from home because you don't have the commute my peer group personally, yes. So you don't have to commute, like you said, and then uh, it just offers more flexibility as far as know, you need to go outside and take a walk in your neighborhood. It's much easier to do rather than in my, I'm in the office right now. So in my city blocks, which right. aren't quite as picturesque or escaping for me. Nice. Welcome to Public Power Underground, Aaron. Thanks for agreeing hey, to thanks, do Paul. a guest <laughs> lead for us. Well. It's going to be Sorry? great. Kick it off. Oh. <laughs> uh, I, I interrupted you like five times there. <laughs> yeah, we're rolling with it. You got this. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off then. So on March 1st, PPC hosted a carbon forum for members in BPA to discuss the benefits and risks of BPA opting to have its resources deemed delivered to California in the CAISO's energy imbalance market. That's the EIM. If a resource is deemed delivered to California load, the resource owner is compensated for the carbon attributes of its resource while California gets to claim those attributes. Uh, because the federal system is marketed by BPA as primarily hydropower, it has a very low carbon content and a higher value in markets like the EIM that value carbon attributes. Uh, however, market design flaws in the EIM create situations where low carbon resources like hydropower are deemed delivered to California and higher emitting resources like coal are dispatched to backfill for them. Uh, these issues arise because carbon policies largely do not align across jurisdictional boundaries like states uh, and market operators are forced to try and optimize separately for energy dispatch and carbon allocation. When BPA staff acknowledges these issues, they also presented analysis they believe showed selling directly to California in the EIM would outweigh the costs. And a concern for public power is that BPA's participation in the EIM and decision to be deemed delivered uh, to California will lead to dirtying the federal system. And in the future, many of BPA's customers will have carbon compliance obligations of their own and could be impacted by higher carbon content in the federal system. BPA staff indicated they believe the decision to be deemed delivered to California would be not be a one-time deal and BPA and customers could revisit the issue going forward based on future experience and analysis. To learn more, BPA is hosting a public workshop to further address the issue on March 16th. You can find the meeting announcement through the tech forum notice or on BPA's calendar of events. If you'd like to be involved in the public power and BPA carbon forums in the future, please reach out to me, that's Aaron Bush, abush at ppcpdx.org. This will be a topic of future carbon forums. 
So will we revisit this and, and continue to monitor the KISO? Because it sounds like KISO is going For to continue sure. to evaluate their, uh, the way they treat greenhouse gases as through the EDAM for, uh, initiative, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, like Laura Trelise mentioned in the meeting, I mean, this is, you know, an issue that keeps getting pushed back because there isn't an obvious solution to it, especially with all the challenges across different states doing different things. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, when we, we talk about kind of how PPC might weigh in on this issue, um, you know, the BPA's analysis is really just a first look. Um, and so we'll really want to be seeing kind of where that's where that might be headed. And I think there were some good points raised about where there's leverage in conversations with the KISO. <laughs> a lot of really technical things. And, and it's one of the reasons I value PPC and a lot of us in the region do is because there's a lot of depth to these issues and we need help synthesizing those deep issues into things that we can actually uh, implement as policy consider as policy. So thanks for joining. Yeah. Please come back. I love this guest lead <laughs> idea. We're going to keep doing it. Please come back and do it again. All right. Thanks, Paul. Yep. Good to chat. Appreciate you. Uh, the Northwest River Forecast Center hosted its monthly water supply briefing this morning, the main tale of which was that water supply in the northern basin, which is generally Canada and its environs, is slightly above normal, and the southern region is below normal. Uh, southern region being the snake plus other places that we don't care about. The April through September natural water supply forecast at the Dalles is unchanged from last month. Total year runoff is at 92% of normal down from 94% last year, which is a little strange since snow has continued to build since last month and February had higher than normal precipitation. Uh, even though it's forecast to rain in much of the basin over the next 10 days, which is one of the model inputs, the forecast is still below normal, which seems to be what's driving the forecast down. The three-month precipitation outlook is about even money for above or below normal in the basin. The next water supply briefing is scheduled for April 1st. So I really don't, the Northwest River Forecast Center's April through September is still well below normal. All of like the fundamental indicators seem that this is a fairly normal year to above normal. And I don't, I just don't get it, Ian. Do you get it? Nope, I don't. Um, so we will not be applying for their hydrologist job opening is really what I'm taking away. I don't anticipate that I will apply, but uh, I don't know about Aaron. <laughs> we used to do a segment on open jobs in the region. Uh, we have we, we've not done that in a while. We should probably circle back, but it looks like they are looking for hydrologists. If you have a hydrologist in your life, please uh, let them know. We are rate structure enthusiasts at Public Power Underground and like to chat with similarly geeky rate professionals from around the region. This week, we got a chance uh, to speak with Snohomish County PUD's Senior Manager of Rates, Economics, and Energy Risk Management, Brian Booth, about a revision to their rate structure that bases the base charge off of a customer's service size. If you have a rate enthusiast in your life, please pass along this show and Paul's contact information. Paul wants to be their friend. Hey, Brian, welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, Paul, it's good to be here. Now, I'm, I'm really curious, what is your consumption level? I don't know if you really know what to expect on being with the underground or not. 
Uh, my consumption level is pretty small. I've watched a episode of The Underground. You watched the Garrison episode, didn't I you? I did. That one Garrison. came through on like our, our CorpCon newsletter. So I, I sat down and watched it and thought, hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah, he is an all-star. Uh, you guys are really lucky to have him. Also really lucky to have you. I don't want to undersell you. <laughs> well, thank you. I will try to oversell myself to uh, to compensate. Yeah, you got a nice setup there. You got a really nice camera, some books in the bookcase. Any book on there that you want to pull off and tell us that we should read about rates? Because I am looking for books on rates. Uh, you know, these books are entirely props to, to make you think that I may have read some of them. Um, if you could see the titles, you'd be less impressed. That, but have you, uh, uh, so that's unimpressive, but any <laughs> recommendations for books on rates? Because you're a rate enthusiast like I am. Hmm. Yeah, you know, books, books on rates. I'm trying to think back. I probably still have a couple from my, from my college days. Uh, some like you Robert... took books. You had rates in college. Yeah. Uh, so one of my professors at PSU was uh, Mike Katz. He was a retired Oregon PUC commissioner. Um, and he was awesome, right? I mean, okay, he had just the best anecdotes you can imagine. I can uh, imagine a lot. Of some of anecdotes. which would be less appropriate for being on the air, but like some of the gamesmanship between the PUC and the IOUs over how they would actually set the rate increases, like the sort of shopping you imagine the IOUs come in with some massive increase, and then the PUC gets to look like heroes by chopping it down to what the number really should be. Yeah, it's exactly what you expect behind the scenes. Okay. I mean, we don't want to talk about it too much though, right? It's one of those things. It's great for a college course. Uh, little baby, little too on the on the edge for public. I'm giving away people's secrets for sure. For sure. It's definitely a secret. Um, Snohomish PUD has got a, a new rate uh, base charge coming into your power rates. I think it's in, I want to say April of 2021. So it's coming up. Yeah, that's right. It's it is scheduled for April, although I think we're probably going to punt it out by a year. We've already punted out the commercial uh, redesign work we were doing just due to the pandemic. Yeah, you know, that seems tweak, really reasonable. Yeah, tweaking people's power bills right now is probably not the most important thing we need to be doing. So yeah, open to do a one-year punt and then get back on it. It sounds like your structure really isn't any incremental revenue generation. It's more about a restructuring of rates. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Remodeling. Everybody likes remodeling, remodeling right? Yeah. Uh, but you've got it exactly right. We're just shifting a little bit of money out of our, our var variable energy rate and getting it into a fixed daily service, service charge. Right now, we're the only utility in the state of Washington I'm aware of that does not have you know, a fixed charge for residences. And we're trying to get away from that. Yeah, I I, I like the kind of the way I see rates and I never took courses on rates. So you can correct me. I was an engineer though. And the way I think about the service we provide is the service, which is the connection, which is, you know, fixed, a lot of just fixed costs that you got to allocate. Power, like we're providing power and energy, which are different things. That's right. Energy is the integral of power over time. <laughs> right, Brian? That's right. Yeah, I like to think of it as, uh, I mean, it's all about like capacity and fuel, right? You got to build, build a generator big enough to meet that peak capacity, but then the cost to actually run it is your fuel cost. So if you want a backup generator for your house, whether you want a 5KW or a 10KW one, I mean, that's a linear cost. That 10KW costs a lot more than the 5kw right right 
but exactly. it doesn't cost you anything just sitting there. Then you've got a fuel cost that's your kilowatt hour charge to actually run the thing. The fuel for the energy. The energy is a separate component than the power. It's it's one of those uh, those rabbit holes I could go down all day. But it sounds like you're going to the base charge and you've thought about it as service capacity. Am I right here? That's exactly right. We've tried to break it up between you know what a, a small consumer might need in terms of you know equipment to you know to serve them. What's it take equipment from the distribution going down the street to their meter to actually keep their lights on? And so there's service panels. It depends on like if, if so I have a residence, I have a 200 amp panel. Um, so do I get a smaller base charge because of my smaller panel size? Uh, smaller, but not the smallest. We've got it okay. broken down into four tiers. Okay. So we've got the smallest, which is like multifamily. It'd be an add-on meter. Like if you, you know, put a garage next to your house or something like that. Okay. Um, then we've got our, our medium size, which is going to be, 90% of single family homes. So up to a 200 amp uh, panel for your house. Okay. From there we go to, to large, which could be up to 400 amps and then extra large that's uh, over 400 amps. Over 400 amps, you need CT metering instead of just a regular enclosed. Metering. That's right. So we've looked at both the cost of the meter, bigger meters cost bigger money, especially once you get into CTs. We've also looked at the service drop costs, you know, number two wire will serve a 200 amp panel. You step it up to one aught for a 400 amp panel, and then you need three odd or start, you know, paralleling multiple strings above that. So it's just more copper, more dollars. More allocation of your system too, right? Because if you have to serve this, you know, 600 amp load, you have to allocate, it seems just to allocate more of my distribution system to somebody with greater service because they, you know, can, they have the ability to use more of my service, right? That's exactly right. Um, so the last part of that, which was, I'm pretty proud of how we were able to pull all this all together is allocating transformer costs. Okay. From our system, we were actually able to map out, here's all of the service panel sizes we know versus all of the transformers that they're plugged into. So we're able to see some of those relationships and see, yeah, we've got bigger transformers that are serving these larger panels yeah. or they're shared among fewer customers, right? You don't have six customers with 400 amp panels all sharing a 25 kW transformer. They're sharing a 75 kW transformer. Dude, you, you know the topics I love. This is geospatial analysis. So do you guys must have, because Garrison, when he was on, talked about the geospatial analysis they're doing in their integrated resource plan. Do you guys have like an awesome team of geospatial, like GIS analysts that help you or you do this on your own? Uh, so we've got a couple of departments I should probably give shout outs to. Our GIS folks are excellent. And our customer analytics team, you know, the purely data crunchers who maintain, you know, these HANA models are, are just the best. Yeah, it is. I think they're like we under promote the value of GIS and geospatial data as utilities. Um, you guys seem to have leveraged it really well. I think you guys may be like a, a benchmarking the use of that data. I love what you're doing. We we are definitely on the cutting edge of some of this stuff. We we have a, you know, a DER, a distributed energy resource planning engineer, um, and a DER program that that this person oversees. Right. So That's we're great. we are trying to analyze you know what we can actually do at the individual feeder level to try to you know, offset our costs into the future. Maybe we could be looking at 
you know, locational, you know, promotions for solar or storage, maybe we could be looking at locational marginal pricing. What is it we can do to, you know, solve some of our system constraints without having to put new steel in the ground? Yeah, I love it. One area I wanted to pitch on you and pitch you on, and I'm probably running out of time today, but I have this idea I've been noodling around and it's like per peak power charges, which is some ways like I really want to rebrand demand charges to power peak power rates instead of demand rates because I yeah. think that makes more sense. And but, I think more people would get, they would get the nomenclature on that, right? When you say peaking, people, people get, oh yeah, this means something to me. Yeah. Demand, uh, I'm less, less like sure what is that. demand? Like I, it's, right. uh, not, I, I don't like that, that term. Um, but my, my issue I'm trying to solve are really electric vehicle charging at home. I have an electric vehicle and I've thought through my behavior on charging when I get home. And I've thought through what price signal I would need to change my behavior. So here's the thing. If you give me a demand charge, just a monthly demand charge on my residential bill, in my head, I'm going to be like, well, I, if, if I use it once, if I charge my car at the same time that my water heater is on once a month, I might as well do it the rest of the month because I'm not going right. to save any money. So I thought, is there any way to do a per peak demand charger, a per peak power, uh, peak power yeah. rate? So More that every day I get a price signal. If I just don't do it today, if for today I can plug into 110 instead of 240, I can save a buck. What do you think? You think I can, you think there's a way to do this? And should we, should we come back and talk about it again? Maybe <laughs> it's, it's probably worth more of a dive. I, I will say that the effect is probably pretty similar to time of day energy rates, right? I and hate that... time of day energy rates though. I hate time of day <laughs> energy rates. So I'm going to float this. Hadn't thought of this. We have not prepared. What do you think about a public power underground after dark with some people, other rate geeks like us? Do you know some rate geeks that would love to dive into this concept? Because <laughs> I, I do know some rate geeks. Okay. You're my rate geek friend. So we got to work on more rate geeks. Yeah, we'll get you tied in here. Maybe we can sit around, have a beer, talk rates, and you guys can really make fun of my idea. And I can make <laughs> fun of time of use energy rates. Yeah, you know, the residential demand charges are just, they're not that common, but they do seem to be becoming more common. Like I know SRP has... Uh, they have put in a, a residential demand charge that goes hand in hand with their net metering customers. I um, was talking with the utility out of Florida last year that you know, had been shifting to residential demand charges. Um, but I think they were just doing it at the monthly level rather than try to get into that yeah. daily level. And, and like you say, give people an incentive every day to try to keep their peaks down. So I think demand for commercial customers at a monthly level probably makes more sense because it's just business operations. And you got, you got to think about just your business operations and you can probably optimize processes. But for residential customers, I just I have this sense of my own choices that I'm not going to make that choice to optimize my monthly demand. I'm just going to continue my behavior. But if I had a daily that just for today, I can change my behavior because of some circumstance. Yeah. I, think about it. We'll think, think about, about it. it. We'll come back. We'll do this again. I like this idea. I'm really <laughs> interested. Right. Thank you for being a friend of the underground. I got to get you to subscribe though, so that you can watch more of our content. I really think you'll enjoy it. Will do. Thank you, Paul. Yep. Talk to you later. Breaking news on Public Power Underground. Hello, Laura, and welcome, welcome back, or welcome to Public Power Underground. I don't think you've been on here yet. I haven't. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. 
I am very excited. We have breaking news. What's the breaking news? All right. Well, thanks for uh, inviting me to do this breaking news lead. Uh, SPP unveiled a Market Plus concept at PPC's member forum on Wednesday, March 4th. So SPP's invitation to the members forum, that was a result of strategic direction from PPC's executive committee uh, to focus on markets as a potential revenue source as a means to improve VPA's competitiveness. The members forum began with a presentation by Friend of the Underground and PPP, PPC's senior policy analyst, Michael Lynn, shout out to Mike, uh, on potential revenue opportunities and the risks associated with market formation and participation. After an overview of SPP's history and market operations by SPP's Vice President of Engineering, Antoine Lucas, an overview of SPP's Western Energy and Balance Service by SPP's Principal Operations Specialist, Steve Johnson. Uh, Steve Johnson then channeled the Steve Jobs uh, One More Thing, where he unveiled the Market Plus concept as an alternative to the Kaiso day ahead markets in the West. Uh, the Underground hopes to dig deeper into the concept with Steve and PPC because we're sure we missed something after a full day of meetings, so check back in for more. And uh, I can say PPC is ready to engage and looking forward to digging in deeper as well. So uh, I'm going to be honest, it was a long day of meetings yesterday. And it was, I actually just kind of caught this. I was like, oh, one more thing. I wonder if they're going to pitch something. And they did. So I'm glad he did the one more thing. Um, do you think there's a, like, this is the a really interesting topic. There was a lot of feedback of people being interested and wanting to explore this more. Where do you think will be a good venue to explore it more? Yeah, we will definitely be talking about this more at PPC rates and contracts meetings. And uh, I think SPP really opened the door. They're looking to engage with stakeholders. So lots more conversation to come. And uh, like you said, Paul, I think there was a lot to digest. Uh, it's a busy time now anyway, lots going on, but uh, an exciting announcement to um, see what comes next. So much going on. Thanks for joining us, Lauren. Thanks, Paul. Leave the breaking news banner up, Paul. Public Power Underground is excited to unveil the Public Power Underground Anadromous mm. Championship belt for the best friend of the underground because they keep coming back. The belt will be conveyed uh, to the guest who has appeared the most times on Public Power Underground. Northwest River Partners Kurt Miller led the match with three appearances coming into today's episode. But so sorry, Kurt. Karen's co-hosting appearance means she is tied <laughs> for appearances, which means the belt remains unclaimed. Watch out, a, Kurt. <laughs> yeah, she's coming for you. Uh, it's a grudge match between Karen and Kurt for the most coveted token award in public power. Close behind Karen and Kurt are friends of the underground, Matt Shretnick, uh, Megan Stratman, and Mike Lynn. Do not doubt Paul's commitment to the bit. This belt will be conveyed once a worthy Anadromous champ emerges. We want to thank Greg Mendoza, Mendoza and Brian Johnson for belt recommendations and Bo Downen for teaching us how to pronounce Anadromous <laughs> during his interview on last week's episode. Uh, for those I'm not sure Erin listened to that episode, but it's okay because she was on vacation, you know? <laughs> Sorry, Bo. I, I mean, I've listened to that uh, interview at least two or three times at this point uh not lying okay you couldn't so, find an adramus i could not i could not I, and to be frank i expected it to be a lot more 
um, showy. Reading through the super secret lead, I thought it was going to be almost bit-like, but it was very understated and apparently read and or spoken in such a way because he's you know just a boss just using that word in casual conversation that's what uh, Bo does just fine yeah, that's how Bo does so yeah <laughs> it's true yeah I was really I really had to search for it I'm really um, excited about this bell I know I am I can come back for guest things I can study up who's going on vacation next <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay, so for those of you who tuned in for the breaking news about <laughs> SPP's Market Plus concept, this is the content you should expect from Underground in the future. Yeah. If it's to your taste, please smash that subscribe button. I shouldn't actually be wearing this because I am not eligible for the belt. I was neither something, but I didn't want to make you mad and have you move me down or like not have me fight <laughs> back. So. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that you put the belt on. Yes, I he awkwardly did. segued he was modeling out, it. He did a very nice job. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this is, I'm probably only going to have it for like a week or two. So I got to really, you know, I got to take advantage of it. Oh man, does that mean Kurt and Karen are coming back on in the I next couple episodes? We're going to have to award that. We got to figure it out. We got to yeah. figure it out. There will have and, to be some sort of a tiebreaker here. I mean, it's gotta happen. So that's, I, I really had to think about this. Like, is there, does there need to be a tiebreaker? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like if it's tied, it's just unclaimed. I don't know. I've never, I didn't watch WWF. I actually don't know how it works. <laughs> you you claim not to have watched it, but you're clearly carrying that belt like everybody. Yeah, you know, that's what I was going to say. You belt. know where it goes, how to do it. So I do. <laughs> I do. I mean, He's like, the, I might have seen some stuff sometimes. The swagger as you walked over with that belt <laughs> lets me know that you've seen a, a championship I mean, fight before. I do consume pop culture and wrestling has permeated pop culture. I just don't want to try to claim that I have like the nuanced understanding of wrestling culture because I don't want to be like a poser. I just it's it's engraved, isn't it? Oh, it's yes. got like some it looks legit. Oh, yeah, yeah, look at that. It's the anadromous champ wow it's got our public power underground logo it is wow. legit <laughs> i'm just gonna leave it right here for the rest of the time um there there are gonna have to be some rules i'm gonna have to figure out some rules if anyone understands wrestling and wants to let me know what the rules should be please let me know the key to this is it's for people that keep coming back so you know it's a fish it, that was greg mendoza came up with that idea thank you very much and Bo gave us the word, but but uh, Greg came up with the idea. It was great. Okay, uh, we're, we're, that's it. That's all the news for the week. Um, send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to me on Twitter at a power manager. Or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul? That was Ian's line. This is uh, your chance to redeem yourself, Paul. Even of that slip up. So any. Questions from uh, any corrections from last week? I um, so I figured out thanks to Energy Twitter that I had correct miss uh, incorrectly referred to like the price cap um, when Ur 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 
I said that it was to incentivize generators uh, to run if they could get online, that is incorrect. Scarcity prices are meant to be a long-term price signal to build new power plants. So it was a scare, that price cap was in order to enable the development of new, new power plants. So uh, I got it wrong. I probably didn't even get it right this time, which is why you should go on Energy Twitter. They're uh, at JoshDR83 has a great thread on it. Um, that I found enlightening and corrected my prior uh, incorrect take. Thanks for correcting the record. We'll be back next week to talk about public power and public power adjacent news, including some special celebrity appearances that I don't want to spoil and I don't want to jinx. I've done it once before and they didn't come through, so I'm not going to do that one again. Um, to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for being a co-host again this week, Karen. I really did appreciate it. You're great. You're Love great co-host. And Kat, you can come back and like try to try to claim it. I know. <laughs> try to claim it. <laughs> there will be a fight for it. <laughs> That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Public Power Underground is a pandemic diversion for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views here expressed are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated or doing business with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate ad revenue from the episodes. Make Karen, Aaron, Lauren, Brian, and Reed feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground, for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's work to watch.